Grand raising everyone. Natalie coming to you live. Spread and copy. Got my copy here. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get started. Let's see. Brandon's here. He's coming on. We're going to invite. Boom. Simple. Now, question is, why can't everybody get it that quickly? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I've had so many. So I've had guests on here. They're just, and it's, I, it's hard for them to figure it out. But you're a tech guy. So. <laughs> I know. Crazy. So, first of all, first things first, how did you sleep? <laughs> I slept well. I slept many many more hours than usual. Oh, good. You know what? I had this weird dream. Okay, I just have to just, I'm just going to talk about this because consciousness, right, is really kind of, I try to say this is spiritual alchemy. You talk about spiritual alchemy, but consciousness is a big part of that. And um, dream work, right? Like dreams. And I had the weirdest, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this or if you've ever, I don't know, but I, <laughs> I dreamt that I was in a cartoon. Like I was a cartoon. I don't know. It was the, I have never. Okay. Look, here's the deal. I dream and I have dream recall, like my dream recall super high. So I remember all my dreams, like every morning since I was a kid. It's just crazy. It's almost too much to process. And I took a class in, in dream uh, analysis and I told the professor, like, there's no way I'm ever going into dream work because I cannot, I would spend a lifetime just trying to analyze one dream. So I told her it's just too much. Okay. So last night I just, I had kind of woke up and then I fell back asleep again. And I went, of course, went into REM and all of a sudden, boom, I was a cartoon and in a cartoon. It was the weirdest. Never have I ever dreamt that I was a cartoon. Weird. It's just weird. Was, it, was everything else a cartoon? Yes, everything. <laughs> I was a cartoon and it was kind of scary. I was like, I don't want to be in this cartoon. <laughs> weird. Anyway. I just thought I'd bring that up because things are, are strange and I don't know if my brain, what's going on with my, my brain or my processing. Um, probably because I'm thinking of alternate universes at this point and I don't know, like, okay. So I do have a question. I know we went into like a lot of the, the, the judicial, the super helpful, um, the Supreme court, like how things operate. I'm still confused on a lot of things. Um, but it did help me to, at least see other perspectives and then because i don't for me it's like i want to i don't want to judge people like that's not my thing i don't want to sit here and be like you should think this way or that way i want to understand why people think the way they think like why do you think that you know because there could be things that i could learn from them and there's things that they might be able to learn from me but arguing doesn't get us there and so it's like you know i was thinking about it and i was like you know, you, cause I'm not going to agree with everything you say, Brandon, I don't agree with every single thing you say, but I understand why you think the way you think and you make sense where most people just, I don't know. They're just saying things because like you said, it's group think. They just want to follow the, the crowds and the masses. And they just, you know, they say these random things and I'm like, well, I, why do you think that way? Why are you, you know, what's making you think that way? What, what facts or what are you pulling from in order to come up with that analysis? And I think that's part of like critical thinking um, and, and really being able to stand in like what you believe to be true, but not just like you said, not just based on 
this is my truth, but like having some critical thinking in there, some rationale, like being able to say, well, here's, here's why I think this way and, and have critical thinking. So tell me what you think about that. Okay. So first of all, I think, and I may have touched on this yesterday. I know it's a a subject of mine that I hit on a lot. Judgment is the foundation of civilization. Uh-huh. So when you say like, well, I don't want to judge others, well, that can be very destructive to civilization. What I mean mm-hmm. by that is if you're not willing to make an assessment of other people's ideas, of other people's actions, then we have no basis for civilization. That mm-hmm. is the very foundation of civilization is our mm-hmm. capacity to assess, you know, quote unquote, good from bad ideas, quote unquote, good from bad actions, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody just without reason murders someone, right? Well, I don't want to judge, you know, well, no, you you do want to (laughs) judge you. Otherwise we can't have civilization. If you don't judge that like, yeah, no, we shouldn't be murdering each other for no reason then there's no foundation for a civilization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of my position on judgment. And I had mentioned it yesterday that even when I talk to many Christians, like they point to scripture that says, judge not lest ye be judged, as some they, their interpretation of that is do not judge others. And mm-hmm. my interpretation of that is, no, you don't judge others on values and principles that you don't hold yourself to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like if, if I'm making judgments based mm-hmm. on values or virtues or principles, well, these judgments that I make of others' actions, ideas, and whatever, I must be willing to also shine the light on my own actions Mm -hmm. and ideas and be willing to judge myself by those same standards Mm -hmm. so it's it's actually really important and so is argument um Mm -hmm. argument is actually an important way of synthesizing better ideas um we argue you know by taking a position asserting our position someone else having a counter position and asserting their position. And, you know, like I talked about yesterday of how we ground assessments. Well, this is the opportunity to take someone else's input as grounding for another position and to ground your position. You actually, through argument, you will, you know, multiple things can happen. One thing that can happen is that you could change your position because you're like, you know what? That's a good argument. Mm-hmm. You know, arguments aren't a bad thing. You yeah. know, just like anger isn't a bad thing. You know, anger is something that spawns action. You know, if mm-hmm. you have, if you are angry about what is happening, what people are doing, that's actually a good thing because it's going to elicit some form of response from you. Mm-hmm. So, and it's the same with argument. Argument is actually a very powerful tool, you know, and unfortunately we don't really see much in the way of argument we see just the spewing of nonsensical information right or misinformation disinformation these aren't arguments 
argument is like what an attorney does, right? <clears throat> when you're in court, one attorney is forming an argument uh, for their client, right? Mm -hmm. Arguing for their guilt or innocence, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's what you're doing. You're arguing for your position, which yeah. is only going to, like I said, either change your position, which isn't a bad thing. Like you're, uh, I've gotten some new information now through this argument and I don't, I don't necessarily have the position I had at the beginning of the argument right? and it, and vice versa. I may argue in a way that changes someone else's position on something. And that's, so that's an, actually an important part of human interaction and civilization is the argument and the, um, and the judgment, right? So yeah. uh, I see those as two very important tools. Right. And I think what I meant was not that I don't judge. Cause I, I agree with you about judgment. Like there's discernment. We have to know too, like we're judging right. all the time, obviously. I can feel when some, I'm like, nah, this is shady. I'm going to go that way. That's a judgment call. But I mean, in terms of like, and maybe it's the, maybe it's not judgment is the word, but I want to, I seek to understand first because I'm like, I don't know. I can't just assume maybe it's that maybe it's just making assumptions about right. what people think, because that, I mean, I think a lot of people, okay, again, so we'll go back to this Facebook post, right? Where people, so now I had better, like a better understanding, grounding, look, re-looked at the post and had different lens to look at it through, which was really good, right? Because then I was like, okay, people saying like, oh, you should move. you, And I'm like, that's not going to solve the issue, right? And so, you know, it's like telling me to move isn't going to change what's about to happen. I'm telling you guys to like, you know, wake up, see what's going on, you know? Um, you know, educate, you know, instead of, and I'm not saying that it's not okay for people to go celebrate, but educate yourself what you're celebrating and understand that those rights and privileges can be taken away from us at any time. And if we don't actually wake up and understand that and start to <laughs> see that. And I, and I thought about a lot of the privilege you were talking about, and it's like, true. It's like, we live in this privileged time where everybody's comfortable and they just, it's like, I don't know what's going to jar them into like waking up and saying, well, we've got to speak up and continue to fight for this so that we don't lose it because they're taking it from underneath us. And I think that was my, that's really what I was trying to say in that post. And, and didn't, I didn't really have the words. And also everybody was just thinking it was about the, you know, women and, and the Supreme Court, and I don't know what they were talking about. And I'm like, you guys, this is bigger than that. You know, it's it's bigger. I'm trying to get people to understand this is bigger. It's not just a, one thing. This is a bigger thing. A bigger narrative is taking shape. And so, but it was at least easier for me to go back and communicate that, which was good. And, and I'm <laughs> like, I, just helping me. Thank you. I really honestly, because I, like I said, I don't understand politics. I don't understand how it operates. And I'm not going to speak to things I don't know. Like, I just don't know. Um, right. But I have a better understanding now. So, yeah, but I do agree with you in terms of like, yes, we do make judgments. And yes, arguments are good when, okay, so do this because I, I know that you talk a lot about like being able to take a position, arguing, feedback, all that kind of stuff. Because I think people like, especially with communication, have issues with communication. <laughs> <laughs> have issues with communication right and right. and so go ahead and give me a, your insight for that or well what? I, this is a, yeah i i agree with you this is often a problem that uh -huh. um 
that obfuscates any kind of meaningful conversation. And what it and the way we do this, and this is this goes back to that uh, subject I brought up yesterday about relativism. Mm-hmm. People who sit in this, well, that's my truth, that's your truth. No one goes anywhere under under the under relativism, mm-hmm. right? Because you because the basically the the general premise is that any idea is as valid as any other idea that's relativism Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily so so we must be able to make distinctions in our language so you know i brought up the speech Mm -hmm. acts yesterday Mm -hmm. like an assertion is something that can be proven true or false so it's either factual or it's not right um and so when you realize that you've got assertions right that can be proven true or false then you can use assertions, facts, to support your assessments. Because assessments are these opinions, that are these judgments that have no factual basis. You know, mm-hmm. it's something like, you know, that action is bad or wrong, right? That's an assessment. They're, 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 that's not true-false language. You can't prove it's good or, you know, you can't mm-hmm. prove it's bad because it that language good bad is assessing right Mm -hmm. but i can i can uh ground my assessment with various assertions Mm -hmm. and i can gauge the merit of my assessment or another's assessment and so in communicating like when i've mediated between two people um what I, that's what I'll start to do. I'll start to pull apart their language. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, well, mm-hmm. that's an assertion. We can prove this true or false. That's an assessment. Rather than this blanket statement of, oh, well, that's your truth and that's this other person's truth. Well, okay, there's no mediating there. Yes. You're stuck in your reality. They're stuck in their reality. We have no common reality. We have no, there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute morality. It's just this wishy-washy world this wishy-washy reality Mm -hmm. where nothing can be established Mm -hmm. um so that's to me that's very unproductive you can't there there is no human relationship in that space because it's what you eventually have is everyone living in this isolated reality and we can't share principles we can't share values because we live in completely different realities and we won't acknowledge the merit of our ideas or the merit of another's ideas or the lack thereof, right? Whether an idea lacks merit or, so it's important to be able to make distinctions in your language, right? And of course there's other forms of speech acts that that I've taught where it's like, okay, there, you can make a request. There are three ways for someone to respond to a request, right? And so they're understanding these elements of language and being able to make distinctions of the language and understanding up front, like, I can, like, again, a presumption or assumption of a lot of people's, if I make a request, it must be honored. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. well, that's very, very narcissistic of you, but no, nobody must honor your request. You can make the request and they can choose to accept or honor it, or they could choose to reject it, or they can choose to counter offer on it. Meaning, okay, I see that you have an end in mind, and I'm work. I want to work with you to get to that end, but I see we can approach this in a different way. That's your counteroffer, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in understanding this, right, 
so that when someone makes a request of you, you know that it's not I must honor or I must reject. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, okay, I see you have an end in mind. Is there a way that I see that's more pal palatable for me to get there? And yes. I can make the counter offer. So that, that there's these important elements of, of language that when we're clear on these distinctions, uh, conversation, communication can become much more effective, right? I, I don't know if you remember this. I did a whole course on effective communication oh, just yeah, using those tools. Yep. And that, I think that was, so for me, I still use it and I love distinctions. <laughs> I swear, like the, the language piece was, for me, was the biggest, biggest one because like the collapse distinctions and understanding that because if it's like before, okay, so before I took all these, these classes, right, leadership and all that stuff with you, I didn't have the language to describe my experiences. Like I just didn't have the language. And I would try to tell people, but it would end up in arguments. And I'm like, no, I'm, I just didn't have the words. I didn't have the right words, or I wasn't be, I wasn't able to see that there was what you call collapse distinctions. Okay. So after, right, everything, I started to say, oh, it's the language I'm using. That's what, that's where the disconnect is. And now, and it, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. I even tell people about it on here, like understand oh, nice. language yeah oh yeah i still use a lot of the tools like a lot of the tools and they work and that's why I, and then i tell people this works <laughs> it actually <laughs> works you know what i mean it's true even all of the like um the living vision statements and all that stuff that we did i do that every like the first of the year not even the first like just yesterday i'll sit there and i actually do that process and i'm like it works when you apply it, it actually works. And I think, and I try to get, I, I, I teach it on here. I tell people all the time, um, but language is the big thing. And then, you know, of course, there's a rabbit hole of language we talked about yesterday, which is symbols and then how those symbols are creating the narrative. And of course, in consciousness studies, that's what it's about, right? It's like, how do these shapes and symbols and even the archetypes or um, the energy or the patterns or the fractals or whatever it is that we're living in, how does that like shape the way that we see the world and how we communicate it? And that right there, I think is powerful. And trying to get right. people to, you know, really understand like we, the consciousness itself is, is shifting, like paradigms are shifting, right? I know you talk about paradigms, but paradigms are shifting and we're, we're transitioning into something different. And people are still holding on to the old stuff. And part of it is like, yeah, like you said, things are changing. They're not going to be the same because we're shifting into a whole new way of seeing the world and engaging in the world. And so it's right. going to be different. And the language is going to change. Language is going to, I mean, we have a whole tech language now that wasn't there before. We're, we're recreating tech language and all these things, but it is the language where, so tell me how you think, talk about our, if you want to like misdirect with language, like how do you feel they're using misdirection with language to keep us in a trap narrative? Well, there's, yeah, that's actually something that all human beings do. <laughs> <Consciously, laughs> they just drop you in their narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, and, and it's, it's funny, like if you listen carefully to people, like people actually have a really hard time lying. Uh -huh. So they, they're very 
they very skillfully, whether it's subconscious or not, structure their language in a way that they try to avoid lying, but they're trying to deceive, right? <laughs> and and so it, this is happening all the time. I mean, if you want to see it in action, just turn on mainstream television. Oh my God. <laughs> watch the news for a little while. And what you'll see is people artfully and skillfully deceiving through language, right? And yeah. it's like, you, you know, you've heard the saying like, well, it's not what they say, it's what they don't say, right? And that's, that is an important distinction. Like they, they will avoid saying certain things and then they use really general terms. So it's this way of, of deceiving through select use of language. And it's funny because deep down, it, it, I, I believe, deep down everyone has some values, right? And some principles, whether they're conscious of them or not, there are these absolutes, you know, again, I'm not a relativist. I do recognize that there is relativism and that we have relative perspectives, but I'm not a relativist, meaning I do see and believe in an absolute truth, right? Mm -hmm. That there is an ultimate truth. I don't sure. think it's easy for us to express it. In fact, I believe it's practically impossible to express the truth uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, or to know the truth, right? Because mm -hmm. again, there's this layer of separation of interpretation through you know, symbolic representations like language and other things. But it's the, a deep down, everyone has some kind of connection to a, a morality, an absolute morality, mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, and you've, again, we have within our culture, certain idiosyncrasies of uh, the idea that you know right from wrong, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and on some level, I do believe that. Um, now, again, I do also believe that we can very easily cut ourselves off from knowing right and wrong, right? Or right from wrong or good from bad. And, and especially if our own actions are wrong or bad, or our own ideas are wrong or bad based on our own judgment, based on our moral code, what we'll do is we will even use language to justify our own positions, to justify our wrongness, to justify our badness that we have a judgment on. And so this forms guilt within people. <clears throat> and right now you're actually seeing the exploitation of guilt within mm -hmm. people. So mm -hmm. you have ideologies that are specifically designed to exploit the inherent guilt in human beings. All human beings have guilt mm -hmm. because we can all look back and say, yeah, I could have handled that better. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> like there, there's definitely a better way I could have handled that. So uh, on some level, subconscious or conscious, we have an idea of where we've, you know, where we've gone astray from our, from our principles, from our values. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So we have, we have this inherent guilt that we carry around with us. And like, I, I spoke a little tiny bit on the critical theories yesterday, but critical race theory is one of those ones that is specifically designed to exploit that guilt. Okay. So the people who buy into it have guilt that is being exploited. Right. Okay. Um, so that that's, that that's a, that's a tool, you know, you can exploit the guilt in others. And in fact, I'm sure you've had relationships with people in your life 
where they attempt to manipulate you by <laughs> by exploiting your guilt about something, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. It's called family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're the best at it. They're the best at it because they understand it more than anyone, right? They're, that's why family can always push your buttons better than anyone because yeah. they understand you at a deeper level. So they can exploit you at a deeper level and more effectively than others can exploit you. So yes, we've definitely seen this with family where family will will hook you and try to exploit your guilt around something to manipulate you to get you to do what they want you to. Okay. Right? So can you, from critical race theory, can you give an example of what they're like, um, maybe what it looks like? Yeah. Like what the, how they use guilt. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, very simple. It's racism against white people where they're trying to make all white people feel guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Okay. 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 I see so what you're saying. Kind of like and and I'm and what I'm saying is these white people already have guilt. Okay. Now it's not about slavery because they didn't own slaves. They had right. nothing to do with slavery. Uh huh. But you're exploiting guilt that they already have. Right. Okay. You know, and and, and it's funny. Okay, so th that's a good thing because I was kind of like, okay, well, how are they explaining? Okay, so I did do some seminars on um, equity. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it was crazy. So we did have a bunch of people we had, um, and it was great. We had a woman who was black. We had a woman who was white. We had a, a white man. I mean, we had like pretty much all the people you need to have in that kind of conversation. Um, and it was about diversity and exclusion in the workplace. So we were just talking about these different concepts. And for me, I, of course, because I use experiential training, right. In my, in my things. And a lot of the work that I still, I still do a lot of the work and I brought a lot of the transformational stuff into it because I was like, this isn't going to, I'm not just going to spew a bunch of stuff at these people. Like there's not going to be any change, any transformation. No one's going to get anything out of it. They're just going to leave and they're going to still have their same beliefs. Like we need to have a real dialogue. Um, and then the guy that I was facilitating with was really scared because he doesn't know transformational work. And he's like, I don't know, Natalie. I said, just trust me. So, but it was really awesome because I said, you know, uh, I, I can't remember the word or the question that I brought up, right? Because I just had a bunch of questions to facilitate the conversation. Um, and I think it was something like, um, how comfortable do you feel with this or that or the other? And the the white woman she stood up but she was at least courageous enough to to say you know exactly how she felt like she felt uncomfortable and she felt singled out and she felt like she didn't know what to say and she didn't have the words and uh, you know and then the the black woman came out and she started talking about how she felt like she never had a voice and and every time she does speak out she's too loud and and so but there was a healing between those two and then there was a healing between the uh, the um, Native American woman and the white man because they work together. And but they we facilitated a real conversation where he was like, I've worked hard for what you know, it was the tip. It was it played out very typically. I've worked hard for what I've had this and that and the other. And, you know, but they were authentic and they were honest. And they didn't hold back. And, you know, we uh, created like this safe place for them to be able to express themselves fully without feeling like they were going to be ridiculed by other people or that, you know, 
these other people were going to say, yeah, you're terrible for this, you know, and everybody listened and everybody. And then at the end, everybody was like, they came to a common ground and they were able to like heal and feel like connected. I mean, it was pretty awesome, but I do see that. And I think that that's part of it is people are not, they, they don't, they won't speak out. They'll just stay uncomfortable. And they're, and and you're going to see that there's that the, the push behind this. So again, the typical approach, right? So if you typically go to like, if you went to a, a, not Beverly D'Angelo, what the hell is her name? Um, uh, I can't even think of her name. D'Angelo, the one who, who does the, uh, the white, the, the white guilt or the white, oh, what is it? Um, I'm now forgetting the names of her books, but, uh, uh, gosh, it's, it's just she's escaping one, me right now. She's not the, she's not the lady who does the intersectionality stuff, is it? Uh, well, it's always in there. That's always part of it, but their approach is victim, right? They push victim upon everyone. Whereas I imagine in your approach, you're pushing empowerment, you're pushing Absolutely. responsibility. Absolutely. You know I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so that's, that's the complete opposite of how yeah. most of these, at least these high, um, I, I almost want to call them celebrity, but these, these high profile theorists, right. Who yeah. are traveling around the country, doing their workshops and seminars. Tr- again, same subject that you're talking about. However, yeah. What they're doing is pushing victim on everyone, except uh-huh. for the white dude, <laughs> right? Got it. Yeah, they the are. Dude becomes, the white dude becomes the only response. So it's it's funny because the supposedly the the goal, right, is to lift up, right, um, people of color, people uh, uh, minorities, um, women, things like that. But in reality, what they're doing is they're pushing everyone in the room down and lifting up the white guy going, you're the only one responsible. That's the only person they're empowering in the room is the white guy. Because they're like, you're responsible. You're not a victim. And he's like, okay, I'm I'm responsible. I'm not a victim. Everyone else is a victim and not responsible. Now, again, we talked about freedom yesterday, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you cannot separate freedom from responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So if I, you take away responsibility, <laughs> you take away freedom. Yes, <laughs> and that and it should be taken away. You have to act responsibly, yeah. right? Um, yeah, you absolutely. It, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. <gasps> Otherwise, forget it. We'd all be dead. We wouldn't even be. Yeah. We wouldn't even exist right now as a species, right? Like we'd be gone, wiped out for sure. But yeah, I think you're you're right, and I think that we had the we had the ability to change the narrative completely because I think so. The the person that I was working with, he was a um, he used to work for the state, and he was a high representative. But he was impressed. He was like, I can't even believe it went that way. And I said, Well, you've got to trust me. Like I understand how to facilitate these things. I understand done a lot of work. You know what I mean? I'm in a master's program right now in transformation and and transformative studies and consciousness and, and experiential training. And it's it's about the healing and it's about everybody being heard because, you know, these issues, like I tell people, it's it's not about the one individual, it's a bigger system that's that's in operation. And, <laughs> and people can't see past that, you know, their individual narrative. They think they're being singled out. Um, I did read, I'll send it to you if you're interested, but I did read, um, and I don't know if you've heard of him, James Hillman. I don't know if you've heard of his work. Um, I'm only starting to 
really look into his stuff. He was a protege of Carl Jung. Um, now I'm not hundred percent on the Carl Jung train, like a hundred percent. Um, and I'm not going to be a Jungian analysis, but, um, analyst, I mean, but he, he does talk about the, it's, it's, uh, the archetype of white supremacy, which I think that his article was very, very, very eye-opening. It was just eye-opening because it was not about the individual, but more of the archetypal construct of, of it. And I was like, wow, this is powerful because what it does is it takes us to a bigger narrative of how this construct was created. And it's just very eye-opening. And I think James yeah, Hillman's- I, I think a lot of that is absolute bullshit. And again, it's it's more of a victimization. It's about disempowering. You, you've got to be really careful, especially because you're in a university in your master's program, they're indoctrinating you. They're Absolutely. hardly educating you, you know what I mean? And they're indoctrinating you into this ideology. The, the idea of quote unquote institutional white supremacy or institutional racism, again, this is a, a invisible trope, right? It's just something you can't actually engage with and doesn't actually exist. Okay. Now you said your conversation was on equity. In reality, human culture is a complex system. If you're not willing to look at all the variables that contribute to someone's unequal outcome, that's what inequity is, then you're disempowering that person. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for instance, something that's always left out of these conversations because it doesn't fit the narrative who are the most successful people in this country? And I mean, yeah, go ahead and use their group identity. Uh, well, from what I know, white yeah. men. Nope. Asian women. Okay. Where's the, okay. Tell me, speak to me. So per capita, when you take the number of white men in the country and how mm -hmm. many of them are successful, it's a much smaller percentage when you take Asian women. Asian women per capita make more money than any other group. They rise to higher positions within their organizations than any other group. But again, this is left out of the conversation because it doesn't fit the narrative of institutional white supremacy. Yeah. And I think so. And, and part of that, part of the, um, it wasn't institutional white supremacy. I'll send you the, I'll send you the actual, um article so you could read it because it wasn't about institutions at all it was about the bigger it was about the archetypal um the archetypal stuff anyway i'll send it to you and you can read it and then you can tell me what you think and i i would okay. just I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it because james hillman i think was onto something at least um and and not excluding the the white supremacy conversation but he um has a theory called like the acorn theory and all that. And you're right. It is indoctrination, but I do use discernment. Right. And I don't agree with everything. And in fact, <laughs> I'm the troubled, <laughs> the troubled child and my professors love me for it. Right. Because, um, I don't agree with everything that they, that these people say, and I'm the one who's vocal about it, you know, while other students are just going along with the narrative. I'm like, no, I don't agree with what they're telling, what they're saying. Oh, this is incorrect. And here's why. And they're like, 
thank you for pointing that out. And then they go into what they believe too. So I don't think all my professors 100% agree with everything that is being taught as well. And it's kind of interesting too, because the program that I'm in is not necessarily um, a typical program that people go into because it is transformative as well. So they're really, it is about like, how do we create these new narratives? They simply tell us, nobody knows what the hell's going on at this point. It, it, nobody yeah, knows. And, we don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah and the, the, again, in the universities, you basically have neo-Marxism running mm -hmm. rampant. And mm -hmm. so they will always point, point to the foundational elements of culture, because in order to bring about their communist utopia, you need to wipe out all institutions, all cultural yeah. elements. Mm -hmm. You just need to mm -hmm. break it all down and then they will build their communist utopia in its place. Um, that's their belief, right? They don't, they don't even have a, like a how to once they've destroyed everything. And this yeah. is why every country that communism makes yeah. its way into is absolutely destroyed and nothing great is ever built out of it. Right. Um, because they don't, they don't actually have a roadmap, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh -huh. Like, cause if they had a roadmap, we can at least assess it and go, okay, I see what you want to do here and we can gauge it, right? We can, we can judge the merit of their ideas, but they don't have any ideas. They don't know how. They just say, well, we gotta tear down everything that exists and then our communist utopia will arise. And so this is why, and again, this is a very disempowering conversation because they point to things that you can't directly address. However, in the equity conversation, mm -hmm. the biggest contributing factors are culture. Okay, so now let's again go back to Asians. Why are Asians so successful? Okay, because Asians culturally stay married. They have children that when they're married, they they reinforce values that are that they value education. So they take school serious. How many Asian friends do you have? How serious do they take school? Yeah, it is true. And so again, this is cultural. So mm -hmm. why do they excel in a culture? It's not because there's institutional racism in their favor. It's because of their culture. And like mm -hmm. I said, human civilization is a very complex model. It's not something that you can say, oh, it's this one thing. That's why mm -hmm. we have unequal outcomes. No. Yeah. In fact, the, the biggest contributing factor everyone's ignoring, which is culture. Okay. So what you're saying that the culture. What's okay. That? Let me, I'm sorry. Let me stop you. So you're saying that, and, and I don't know the research on, on, um, on the equity conversation fully, but so what you're saying is the narrative they leave out of that is culture. Yeah. Like culture is not addressed within. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, Go ahead. It's not addressed at all because, okay. because then you would actually be, have something that you can work with mm -hmm. that it's like, Oh, we want, we want to raise up, whether it's Blacks or Hispanics or any other group, right? Uh -huh. Any other of your group identities, you want to raise them up, look at the culture, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And like, if you look at even before the Jim Crow laws were eradicated, you had much more wealth and success in Black communities. What was different? Culturally, they got married, they stayed married, and children were born to married couples, okay? It was something like less than 20% of the, 
in the black community, less than 20% of people were born to unwed mothers. Now that number's like 70 to 80%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you don't have a father in the home. That is a contributing factor. That is cultural. Okay. And if you don't address that and it's like, well, why don't we have a father in the home? What's different here? Right? Yeah. And you look at the, the, the elements of poverty that did you know that our welfare system rewards women for not marrying men? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I trust yeah. me. I understand that system well. <laughs> <laughs> only because I have family members, right? Who've been on that system for so long. And right. yeah. And then they're just a hundred percent dependent. Hey, Linga, how are you? Linga Langa. <laughs> so what if rather than rewarding not married couples, we rewarded married couples in the welfare system? Yeah, then it might change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the yeah, way it, it, that, there's a, that's something you can actually work with. It's not an invisible boogeyman. It's, right. it's it's statistical. We can look and we can say, look at all, where we have all the success, whether it's financial mm -hmm. success, whether it's relationship success, and you can pull out certain elements, cultural elements and say, well, here's an interesting tie in Asians, one of the most successful groups in this country, mm -hmm. also stay married more than any other group and have and raise children in a two-parent household mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. they do that more than anyone and they're more successful than anyone could that be a factor that we should look at and address right, right. you know because right. that's something we can work with directly see but these charlatans you know the ibram x kendys and <clears throat> and the d'angelos they're running around with no solutions they're just saying they're, they're pointing to an invisible boogeyman saying institutional Mm -hmm. And so we just need to tear down the whole system. Mm -hmm. That's not a solution. Okay. Right. <laughs> solution. No, I That's agree. It's that not. empower anyone. Exactly. But, exactly. But again, they, they're not trying to empower anyone. They're selling <laughs> everyone on being a victim. Yes. But it's like, yes. okay, if we're not going to sell everyone on being a victim, we're going to sell everyone on responsibility. And we're going to look at when and where we do have success. Like, again, even if you take the, the, Let's just take the whites and separate mm -hmm. them, right? Let's separate whites who are born in single mother households versus whites born to two parent households. And you will see there's a dramatic difference in success, financial success, career success, relationship success of the people raised in two parent households. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it's not an absolute, but right. it's a huge contributing factor. Yeah, I and I agree. And I think that it's important. So culture, I never I didn't know culture wasn't a part of the conversation and dialogue. But here's what I see with our with the Latinos, right? And this is a problem. Because we do talk about like race and all that stuff. And and I never saw myself as a victim to to these things. Like I've done everything I've wanted, right? And I've I'm like, I'm going all the way as far as I can. But I do see that when I like, for instance, um, I went to something called the PhD project at one point and I just there was nothing but black people. It was for minorities and they were trying to get more minorities to get PhDs. So I said, OK, well, let me go. So I went to the convention and there was like two Latinos there. And I'm like, I don't understand this. Where are they? And within our own culture. Right. 
because we could sit there and I tell people we could sit there and say it is the white narrative, all this and that. But the reality is we don't even come together and unify for ourselves. It's like our culture is all over the place. I don't even know. We fight amongst each other. We pull each other down. We don't lift each other up. We're not coming together with a common cause or, or anything like that. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you have to look at the subculture you're a part of too. Because look, I grew up in Southern California and the Hispanic culture of Southern California is very different than New Mexico. That's what I'm saying. I yeah, I experienced a very strange, very, I won't say strange, a very foreign culture there. Like I was not, and again, I grew up just surrounded by Hispanics, Asians, <laughs> and because of where I grew up, right? And, but it was a very different culture. The Hispanic cultures I experienced are very different than what you have in New Mexico. See, in New Mexico, you have these different cultures at odds with each other you have what I call the old Spanish culture. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. And they're very, we're not Mexican. Yeah. Right? Like yes. You call them Mexican and you might get yep. hit or shot or something. Yes. Right? yes. Very like, true. No, we're Spanish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're very racist towards natives <laughs> and Mexicans. Right. They are. Yes. You're absolutely it's crazy. Correct. Like I was like, what the it's hell crazy. is going on here? Like it I blew know, my yes. mind. I know and, it does. It blows my mind, <laughs> and I live here. <laughs> yeah. So that that was different for me because, again, I where I grew up because I also grew up in Southern California. There's there's a high level of acceptance. So there's like you're not like oh I'm not playing with Hispanic kids. Yeah, right. Like you're playing with Hispanic kids. You're playing with Asian kids. Like in the community I grew up in, we had like like three black families at our school. So it was like okay, but you didn't like you wouldn't not play with them because of their color or because right. of their heritage or because of anything else. We had Vietnamese, we had Cambodians, we had Laotians, we had a lot of Southeast Asians, right? Right. But it was, there was this high level of acceptance from all groups, right? Right. Like <laughs> not one group was isolating itself from another. We all just kind of played along, right? Exactly. And so there was this high level of acceptance. So when I, when I moved to New Mexico many years ago, and I saw that I was I was taken back by it because I wasn't used to it. You know what I mean? I'm like, wow, this is interesting. You know, that is the beautiful state of New Mexico. It sure, it really is. I you're in a nutshell correct, Brandon. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, but again, but that's cool. That now look, if we want to make headway in New Mexico, we have to be willing to look at that. Like, look, you have many different cultures here. You know, because then you also have the 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 uh, affluent white community of like say you know most of them are concentrated in Santa Fe or the you know the the high income areas of Albuquerque and they've got their own culture so you've actually New Mexico and again it's not like I'm this world traveler and been everywhere but there is a there's something very unique in that these it's pockets of culture that you must address each one so it's like if they're a Mexican immigrant family they're going to be, they're going to have a very different culture than the old Spanish family. I agree. Right? Yes. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, but what I'm saying is that's the, I think that's the issue is that we as, as Hispanics, whatever you want to call us together, because of that, we don't have a common culture and it doesn't, it's not playing out. In other words, we're not helping each other out. We should be. I don't understand right. why we're not. <laughs> 
and it doesn't play out. And so it's like, we don't have common values. We don't, it, it and it's like, oh no, we're, it's almost like a, a status thing too, because it's like, oh, right. we're Spanish. And I'm like, do you realize yeah. what happened and what they did to this land? Like, do you guys not, not know the history? Like, why are you wearing that so proud? Like there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of stuff that circulated from that, but people are very proud. I yeah, think but it, that's the thing. That's that's actually, I, I, I can't wait because the, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Hispanics will be the next in the crosshairs after they've demoralized the whites. The next mm -hmm. target will be Hispanics because Hispanics are the next quote unquote power group, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yep. in reality, uh, most Hispanics <laughs> are descended of people from Spain. That is a European country, right? I know. So, so you're, you, you know, you could claim I'm a brown person. Yeah, you may have, I'm a brown person. <laughs> I have brown skin, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, um, it, it's, it, it's, they're going to look at your, your heritage, right? And that's like, oh, well, you were conquerors. Now, again, we're also sanitizing history and pretending like that wasn't the way of the world. Everyone yeah. was conquering everyone. Like before the yeah. Europeans got here, natives were conquering the shit out of each other. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. Like, like the, like the Black Hills, right? Where we mm -hmm. built Mount Rushmore, right? In a short time from the 1600s to the 1800s, when we conquered the Lakota, five different tribes controlled that area. And each one conquered the previous one. Right. To control that area. Uh -huh. So it's, it's not this unique phenomenon that yeah. Europeans brought about. Just like slavery wasn't a unique phenomenon that the Europeans brought about. Like in reality, slavery was a global phenomenon, like yeah. since the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like as far back as prostitution goes, slavery goes back just as far. It's like um, we <laughs> humans... <laughs> Can't get over they're control freaks. No, I'm just kidding. When you look at, you know, we were talking about when you when you're able to like zoom out and look at the bigger picture. Again, we're at an, an anomalous time. Like it's only been yeah. 200 years that we've tried to eradicate slavery. Now it still exists in many parts of the world. No, but absolutely. It's not accepted, right? So these countries where it is still practiced. They kind of got to do it low key and under the table so that nobody notices that they're still engaged in slavery because none of the other countries will accept that. Right. We've but that's the anomaly. Like you're talking about 10,000 years. Slavery was cool. <laughs> and now for 200 years, it's been not cool. Like, again, <laughs> the big picture, it's an anomaly. We're living in this right. anomaly in history where there's not slavery. Right? That's kind of true because like in India. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I lived there in, I was freaked out. Like for me, it was a very different thing. So, and especially because I'm American, right. And because I am, I am light skinned. People think I'm white. Okay. So people right. are confused. Are you Latina or are you white? Um, Latinos know I'm Latina, but when I go out to India, I'm white because I'm white. Right. My skin is white. Right. You're, so, you're, but you're, it was, you're Caucasoid enough. Yes, I am. And so I go out there. And, you know, we're in our flat or whatever. And then a maid comes in and I'm like, and she's cleaning our stuff. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, don't worry. I got it. You know what I mean? Like, I, and she's like, no, no. I mean, 
and they come and they sweep and they do all the, and I was just like, I mean, for me, it was so weird. Right. And then my friends, one of my friends has a maid that lives there with them. She like even sleeps on the floor and I'm like, doesn't she want to sleep on a bed? Like I asked these questions because I'm confused. Like, I don't know. This is their culture, right? This is how they right. operate. Yeah. And I'm and like, in their culture, you have uh -huh. the untouchables. Right? Uh -huh. And it's like, you're uh -huh. born yes. into that class and yeah. you can never yeah. elevate yourself out yeah. of that class. Yeah. yeah. And so it was weird because I told her her name was Aya and she, I love her. She's such an amazing, I love her so much. But I would go in the kitchen and talk with her and stuff like that. And she would feed me from her hand. And I don't know, just beautiful. Like, honestly, the most beautiful thing ever. And I, I even asked, well, do you have kids? Like, she has kids, but she lives with this family. That is, I mean, it is slavery. It is. Um, what am I to do? Like, that's not right. Like, I just have to go along with what they're doing, right? It's their culture. It's not my, you know, but everywhere. And then there's, of course, the people on the streets. Yeah, the untouchables, the ones who are picking up trash where other people just throw their trash on the street. They don't like throw it in the trash can could be right there and they'll throw it on the street because they know someone's going to come pick it up. And I'm like, right. wow. Like for me, that was a big, so yeah, there, there is, like, it, what I'm saying is yes, there still is slavery. That is slavery. And then I was like freaked out by it. Right. I was like, I don't worry. I got it. And I don't think that they ever experienced that with many people especially right. me because i'm like I, in my country you guys think i'm white <laughs> and i'm not treated as white you know i don't have a white last name and and so i mean i don't understand their struggles but i'm also i understand like yeah you're struggling you know what i mean i get it so right. just it's it's an interesting narrative but yeah and i guess i never and, thought and, of it really go ahead and I, and i think the the cap to put on any equity conversation mm -hmm. is meritocracy like in reality mm -hmm. america is supposed to be and for the most part is a meritocracy what is that yeah what is it in, like i'm a business owner right uh -huh. i'm not gonna hire people based on their race i'm gonna hire people based on their competency based on their skills yeah. i don't care what race you are and yeah. in fact that's how most business owners look at things because they want their business to be successful. They don't, they're not trying to be right. like some ideological beacon. Like I only hire white people. Nobody does that. Like, and if they do, they're not successful mm -hmm. <laughs> You know what I mean? because you're only yeah. going to hire <laughs> based on skill level. You want the most talented empl employees. You want the most talented group of people because that's going to make your business excel. And that's what you want as a business owner. So this is already part of our culture is meritocracy. Now, we do have nepotism, meaning like, you know, there's people like who are CEOs of huge multinational corporations and they bring their nephew and their son in and give them these ridiculously high positions and these kids are completely unqualified to do the job, right? That happens. And that right. is not a meritocracy. That is nepotism. And so that does happen, but it happens few and far between. In fact, for every incompetent relative you bring in, you know you have to hire two really competent people <laughs> that you don't know to make up for their lameness, right? Like it's just part of the, you, you realize that. It's part of the equation. Factor it in. 
Oh my God, that's hilarious. I kind of feel like I'm experiencing that at my job now. <laughs> right, and, and you'll see it because people who do hire for ideological reasons, you're gonna have, and again, I've seen this in, in no more pronounced than in New Mexico, because for one, you guys have this huge nonprofit sector, right? Uh, of of your, I, I mean, it's hard to call it business world, oh, but yeah. like there's just yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm in New Mexico, right? Yep. Yep. And yep. they're, <clears throat> they're mostly yep. ideologically driven. So you have a lot of incompetence in these, you know, and yep. so you, like, I would walk into these, yes. I would walk into these nonprofit organizations <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I've never seen something so ineffective. You know? <laughs> I'm glad you're saying that. It's not coming out of my mouth, people. I mean, I've kind of said stuff, but... <laughs> But, but well, you, you could see why it. I would interpret it that way. Oh, I do. I totally understand. Trust me. And it's an, it's the miracle that I'm still here in a lot right. of ways because of that. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and it's something that I do talk about, you know, in New Mexico and nobody wants to work. And when you get somebody like me, who's all about the community and really doing the work, I get seen as the bad person. And right. Well, you know why? You're because call, yeah. you're you're breaking the standard of mediocrity. Uh -huh. Oh, absolutely. Like you, you, if you absolutely. excel, you make everyone else look yep. bad. Yep. And then that, yeah. yeah, that, and that happened. And I was, they said that I was, uh, um, what did they say? I forgot the word they used uh, for me. That kind of like I'm a know-it-all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just asking questions here. You guys are just afraid to answer the questions. <laughs> just be shit at life, Nat. Uh, um, so, okay. So there's, um, my friend Linga's on here. Lower your frequency and fit in, <laughs> Linga. <laughs> I know, right? I'm not going to lower my frequency. And that's why I don't fit. It's hard. I was having this conversation with my friend the other day about, you know, moving because I do not fit here. I just don't. And I never have. And um, I spend all my time by myself, mostly. <laughs> a few friends I could talk to, most of them I call on the phone because they don't even live there. Um, but it's hard to have these dialogues with people here because, you know, New Mexico is New Mexico. And, and it's, it's not, I don't know if it's changing anytime soon. I don't foresee that happening. Um, you know, but it's like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Um, and what, what's keeping me here, right? And that's been the big question because, you know, it is the same thing and they're not going anywhere. And I'm just literally, be, I, I'm a loner, right? It's just, Natalie stays alone. Yeah. Mostly. Like, like I said, I don't I, really have anything to talk about with these people. I don't know what to talk about with them. Right. I mean, I, again, I came from, I'm from Orange County, which is predominantly a white part of Southern California. Um, however, I've never experienced racism or xenophobia or anything like that. Like I did in New Mexico. Like yep. I, I it's, had it, literally it's... someone would hear my last name and be like, oh, you're not from here. Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do business with you. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. Never had I seen that in <laughs> yeah. California. Roger, don't take the money because it belongs in their pockets. <laughs> oh my God. I'm saying all this stuff on my live video. People from New Mexico to see it. They're like, what in the world? Oh, there you go. It's, it's said. It's, it's, it's the truth, though. It's the truth.
that are it's oh. factual okay that's a speaking of facts that these people um what you know when you call them out and you do the work it's yeah it's a no-go and they push you out and then it's like people stay uncomfortable they're getting fat checks yeah. to do zero yeah they I do nothing <laughs> they do nothing i saw, I saw so I know, much of that right. i'm just like wow it, you guys have uh, got a pretty cushy thing going on here y'all stand around all they day do. doing nothing and you just get money which comes from grants and donations and things like that yep. you just stand around and do yep. nothing all day yep. like that's it's it. like it's yep. like if you get that's them to pull out a couple hours of work a month you're do yeah, like you you're doing something right <laughs> like it was the it was again it was i agree it was the strangest thing i ever seen um because again i'm not used to it i'm yeah i'm you know in southern california for one if you're going to have a business there you have to be effective because it costs you so much to base your business there. So you can't just yeah. have people standing around like that ain't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You nope. Know? Nope. You got to hustle. You got to hustle, yeah. but there are a few pockets of people, people here who hustle and that's who I'm oh, yeah. in um, conversation with at this point in my life, because I'm like, I've got to change something. Part of me though, does know that I need to move. Um, and where that is, I have no idea. And perhaps that's a, a conversation you and I can have offline. <laughs> Where's a good strategic <laughs> place to move? <laughs> right. I need some strategies because I don't, I mean, I don't really know, especially when it comes to the political stuff and, and understanding how states, you know, might operate in certain ways and all that kind of stuff. I don't really know. Australia. Yeah. Oh, no way. Lingo, <laughs> Australia. I know. Okay, so Linga is from Australia, and he's a really good friend of mine. Um, that's been he comes on here all the time, um, and he's been connecting with me for a long time. And I know he had questions about Australia, and I t I had mentioned you a long time ago, Brandon. Maybe I should read your cards for you, uh, Matt. Yes, you can read my your card uh, my cards for me. I would love for you to read your my cards. Australia is fucked. Oh, sorry, I just said the F bomb on. I said it. I'm on Facebook Live too. Sorry. Oops. No, that's 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 the, I I would say that's a fair assessment. I agree with that assessment. And I in fact, if you want, we can ground that assessment for the next hour <laughs> about how screwed Australia and Australians are. Yeah. Let's, well, let's. Yeah. Well, if you could go into if you know something about Australia, because I know he had been asking and stuff, and I was like. Let me ask Brandon, let me ask Brandon, but now he's on here and now Lingo's on here. Well, we're well, all, I uh, mean, we could point to the Western world in general. Okay. Okay. Go um, ahead. So because Australia is part of the Western world, they, we share a culture, right? We have what we call Western culture, right? And we share mm -hmm. that with Australia, with the UK, even with non-English speaking countries like Germany and France and Spain and Italy. And, you know, we, we share this common, what we call, Western culture, right? Okay. And the one thing that's unique, again, I mentioned this yesterday, the, what's unique about America is our constitutional republic. It is absolutely backwards and upside down from what everyone else has, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when the Australian government stepped in a few weeks ago and said, yeah, we're taking over all the, all the uh, public utilities, nobody can really do anything to stop that, right? If they yeah. want to say, okay, yeah, uh, you know, we gave you this right, right? You you have this right because we gave it to you. We're taking that away, and nobody can really say anything about it. So it's that's how the Western world is structured. Like it's not like our constitutional republic. 
you know, whereas, again, most mm -hmm. Americans think they got the rights from the Constitution because they understand very little to nothing about history, but they didn't. <laughs> okay. And because they didn't get those rights, because those rights are acknowledged as being inherent as a, in you as a human being, that they can never be taken away, right? That the government, in fact, that was the restriction. The Bill of Rights was to restrict the government, that you can never impede these rights of the people that they have inherently. They are born and inherently have these rights as mm -hmm. human beings. This is these are rights they always have. No other country structures it that way. And then, you know, we talked yesterday about the the real top-down structure, people at the top, then the counties, then the states, then the federal government. Our country's the only one structured that way. Okay. Right. You go into Australia and it's a top-down from the federal down, right? People at the bottom. Same with the UK, mm -hmm. same with Canada, same with Germany, same with France, same with Italy, same with Spain, same with Portugal. Like their their system there is upside down and backwards from ours. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm I'm telling you so many people are watching America because they realize if we go down to tyranny, they're they're screwed. Because it's also if you look at history in the last hundred years, we've insured and been the guarantors of their uh wealth of their prosperity of their progress of their trade networks like it's because of the u.s navy that we have a global distribution system right mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. the u.s navy we would piracy wouldn't be any different than it was in the 16 1700s like you would be losing massive cargo ships all the time to pirates and you would have countries fighting amongst each other and one of the things that countries do when they fight each other is blow up cargo ships because that hurts your enemy in mm -hmm. fact during the iran iraq war back in the late 70s early 80s they they destroyed i believe it was only a handful of cargo ships right in the persian gulf it almost collapsed the global financial system because we were so used to not having to worry about that, that the insurance companies hadn't had to pay out a claim of losing a cargo ship in forever because the US Navy was there guaranteeing that everyone could sail around the world with their cargo ships without worrying about being attacked, without worrying about pirates, without worrying about being sunk. And so, but you know, if you're talking about a cargo ship, you're talking about a lot of things to insure, right? You're talking about these multi-million, multi-billion-dollar policies, and if all of a sudden you've got to pay out 12 multi-billion-dollar policies, and when you understand how our financial networks are connected, how the insurance companies are connected to the bonding companies, are connected to the various markets, like you realize that that was a very delicate time. That very easily, the the financial systems of the world could have collapsed because of a war between Iraq and Iran. <laughs> you know? and, and, then, and so that's something that we've taken for granted, that all countries right. have taken for granted, that we've had this free flow of trade that has mm -hmm. allowed all countries mm -hmm. to prosper mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. become wealthy and mm -hmm. to focus on other things. Like mm -hmm. Australia doesn't have much in the way of a Navy because they don't need one because of mm -hmm. the US Navy, you know? Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to put time and effort and resources into building a Navy.
and and in the long run that that is going to that's why i said in you know when we look at what's on the horizon for the world uh civilization you, the u.s is in the best position because we have all those things and nobody else really does right it's not many like russia yeah. will be okay they're not going to fare as well as we are uh-huh. china is going to have it really bad even though they have a strong infrastructure and they have a navy and all these other things just because they messed around with their population they did the one child thing they were sterilizing their population they were forcing abortions on women like they've they've done more damage to their population that they their population will collapse the hardest and it will destroy their civilization because their civilization is already tenuous as it is because they're trying because it's this mix of communism and capitalism right so it's already a, a questionable situation you have a collapse in population and they're done there will be no more china that's crazy. It's like happening everywhere. Let's see. The, the Linga says the globalist scum tried to starve us out and make us freeze. The government yeah. are just the prison guards who is running the prison. Let's see what else he says. I would agree with that. China also did this in the 1400s, the largest Navy in the world. And I don't know what he, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, and a lot of, so because a lot of my listeners, so mostly I talk about, right, I was telling you spiritual alchemy and kind of transcending the narrative and looking at it from the the macrocosm really, um, which I like because it's like, now you're like talking about the microcosm, like how is this playing out, you know, in the real world? Like, how does it, like, I can't, I can kind of speak to that, but I can't speak politics. I can't speak you know, what's going on with our navies and our, our, I don't know all that stuff. Like, I just don't know it. Um, but I think a lot of people were like, well, what do we do, especially during the pandemic, right? And, and, and all this, and I had people from other countries coming on and, and, and asking me, and I'm like, I honestly don't know. The one thing I can tell you to do is prepare, <laughs> just learn how to grow food. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? The basic stuff, because you need to eat. Um, right. and those kind of things, you know, and that's, I think that was the big thing. People were like, well, do I move away? Do I get the shot? Do I, some people were like freaking out, like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you've got to do what you've got to do to survive, especially if you have a family. Right. And yeah. what does that look like? So I think it's just, it's crazy what's going on. And, and I don't think, and that, I think that's what it is. It's like, I'm trying to get people to understand something's happening. Please wake up please figure it out. I don't know how to organize people. Like I'm not one of these people who goes to, like I could go to a rally. Great, but I'm not good at organizing people together. Like that's not my strength. (laughs) It's true. I'm just going to admit it. (laughs) So, you know, I, I could podcast, I could write. Um, and those are the skills that I have, you know, I also can do Kung Fu if I need to defend myself. (laughs) I don't know if that, that won't defend myself against a gun, but you know, um, at least I won't run out of bullets or whatever, but, <laughs> but you know, it's like, I don't know, prepare yourself for what's to come, you know, and, and people in other countries, I just feel it's, it's scary. Cause I had a, a couple of people from Australia actually reach out. Do you have any, like any advice for them that you could think um, of specifically any- Australians? Um, I, here's the thing about Australians, and I don't know why it hasn't been manifesting more, but they're actually, as far as their um, 
like their way, their hearts, right? And where they're mm-hmm. at, uh, they're more like Americans than any other Western country in that they are fervent believers in personal freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they typically, they wouldn't just go along with things, but I would say that about Americans and like, look at the pandemic. you know all these americans just like yes yes i know know, accepting everything so i i could see that again it's driven by fear but australians will fare better than most in western culture because they kind of have that 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 part of them that is like hardy that is like like i i'm gonna stand up i'm going to work for it i'm going to resist like they have that within their spirit like if there's a if there is a common uh way of being right uh-huh. among australians it's that toughness that that we recognize in americans they have that right yeah. they have that fortitude right that spiritual fortitude that will uh-huh. uh yeah that will, that's he's that like we are benefit. resilient yeah absolutely that will be a benefit for them whereas you know, a lot of other yes. Western countries that, who don't have that, it's just going to be mush, right? It's just going to be collapse. Um, so I think Australians are probably in a better position than most Western countries. Now, here's the thing. They don't really, and, and remember we were talking about like the, how Egypt made it through the Bronze Age collapse, right? They were isolated. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, another mm-hmm. thing that Australia kind of has going for it. It's an island you know so it's it's isolated so it's kind of protected you don't have to worry about roving bands you know over the land mass you know you've you're isolated so you're you're pretty well insulated and protected in that sense so they're gonna be better off it's not gonna be good but again i want to i guess i want to bring this back to because I don't want to be blackpilling everyone. I don't want everybody like, oh yeah, you're all screwed. Uh, give up now. <laughs> you know, like that's, I don't see it that way. I really don't. I'm just, I'm just very, I'm, I'm practical about it. Like I, I make my assessments. Like, okay, yeah, this is gonna happen. Mathematically, this is gonna happen. And because we've got these people over here that are pushing to make it happen, it's gonna happen sooner. And mm-hmm. so there's, it's just practicality. I'm just like looking at the numbers, looking at what's happening looking at how culture and society is reacting like to me it's like for these are foregone conclusions but there's also something else that i see and it's like yes things will be different uh-huh. but i feel we're on the precipice now now we're going to go into the archetype so i'm gonna it's leaning more into the spiritual here right um the way i see it culturally mm-hmm. as a culture as a society we're on the precipice of a dark night of the soul as a culture. See, not only do we enter into these archetype uh, points as individuals, right? We don't only enter a dark night of the soul as an individual, we enter a dark night of of the soul as a culture, as a society. Uh And that's what we're doing. Like, yeah, shit's gonna get bad and it's it's gonna get worse (laughs) than it is now, right? But that's not a bad thing. Like what, what's the, the great possibility and opportunity we have in the dark night of the soul. And it's the realignment of the true self, the authentic yeah. self with your principles. You right. know, we were talking yesterday about this relativism and how it's destroyed any sense of morality within our culture. Well, mm-hmm. 
that can be alleviated through a dark night of the soul as a culture, as a society where we get in tune with the authentic mm -hmm. identity mm -hmm. of our society, of our culture. What is it really? Like, look at all these people running around. Like, again, they're, they don't recognize that we're in this anomalous bubble in history where it's like the best it's ever been. And everyone's bitching and complaining. And so there will be this re-identification, right, of like what is great and what we can do and what our principles are. Yeah. That's what happens in a dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking at all this and I'm actually excited about it. Yeah. So I don't take even my own kind of assessments of where we're going and where we're heading. I don't look at that as like negative. I look at it mm -hmm. as like, wow. Mm -hmm amazing opportunity we're heading into. Right. And hopefully, <laughs> as we exit the dark night of the soul, people have learned. <laughs> well, again, you're going to, so I think there's, you also have to recognize there will be this great conflict because oh, there for are sure. these forces oh, that, for. that want to control, they want to dominate. They want to eliminate, you know, like 90% of the population. So that that will, we will be at contention with that yeah. because like i said it's a mathematical certainty that we're yeah. heading there without these people's influence so the fact that these people are trying to capitalize on this mathematical certainty in a way that only benefits them they, they come from a very selfish mindset very greedy yeah. but most of all very fearful they are driven by fear. Oh, for sure. This, yes, that's why this, they're trying. That's why they want yeah. everyone else to be afraid. Yep. yep because exactly. They're terrified. And yep. so they're trying to fear porn, push fear porn on everyone and make everyone so afraid because they're terrified and they don't get it. Why aren't you scared? You know, like they, they, they are terrified. So they want everyone else to be terrified, you know, and so they're pushing terror on everyone. Exactly. So check this out. This will probably trip you out. So one of my professors was telling us that these sort of elite people went to a friend of his who's a professor. And um, I can't remember what he was doing research in, but it was kind of like, you know, what's to come, all that kind of stuff. And they went to him and they said, what should we do when when the big event happens? Like what? And he, <laughs> and he, they didn't like the answer that he gave them. He said, Right now, the world needs kindness and compassion. And for us to, to um, you know, um, lift people up. And they didn't want to hear that because it was like control. Like they just wanted control. So they, obviously, the guy didn't give them the answer that they wanted. But that's exactly right. what it was. They were fearful that they were going to lose the quote unquote power and control yeah. that they hold. And they didn't, they didn't like the answer. He didn't like the answer. And he's like, right. that's what the world needs right now. Like, that's what, if you treat people good <laughs> and you're kind and you're, then it'll change things. But that's not what we see, right? We see people fighting with each other and, oh my God, you say one comment and people explode on you and, you know, there's no grounded arguments. Like you said, nobody's doing it. They just, it's. Yeah, it's their own narrative. It's their own truth. Now, it's good to have your own authentic truth when your principles and values align with, I feel, when they align with nature and law and natural law and, and you're not doing harm. You're here to do good and you're here to live in harmony with life itself. But, you know, it's 
ego gets in the way, of course, and it's like, well, I'm right, and people should be doing it this way. And then we end up with all these create all this craziness. So, but these people are afraid, and I felt it, and I can see it, and I've said it over and over again. They're afraid. They're afraid, and there's more of us than them, and that makes them freak out. And now we're talking about these issues. Whereas, I don't know, in the past, I'm sure people did, but now everybody can broadcast. I mean, we're broadcasting now and talking about the issues. And now it's like, oh, shit, like maybe they're kind of like waking up and doing some critical thinking. And they're like, hell no, that's not what we want. We our agenda says this. And also to that point in the dark night of the soul, the transition between the two is that people want to hold on to the old narrative they're they're fighting for that old system to stay in place when it's not going to it's like they're wanting to hold on to these ideas and i think that's why they're trying to control how it breaks down because they're like if we control how it breaks down then we can control how it we build it back up you know what i mean absolutely yeah uh-huh. they're, they're, yeah if you look at like you know they're they're broadcasting what they're doing as well you know yeah <laughs> yeah the yeah economic forum and the yeah, great yeah, yeah. Reset. yeah like they, they're yeah. laying it out like here's yeah. what we're gonna do yeah. um so they're and they are intent on maintaining control uh-huh. and again the there's of course the population control element which mm-hmm. again you you should know about you should learn about you should see the history of it um because then you can understand again it's driven by fear They justify it through neo-Malthusianism. And this is a, this is a key part that, Mm -hmm. that has been justified. Don't, don't think that they don't have and haven't had for over 60 years, worldwide programs that are funded by, authorized by these global entities. You're cut off, Brandon. You know, that's where they have been doing this now Uh for a long time. And if you're unaware of it, then when you look at things like why do these pharmaceuticals or environmental elements have these impacts on the human body and why aren't we doing anything about it? Well, because it's already been justified. Like making you infertile is justified. Making you not able to reproduce is justified. Like they have fully justified all of this into a worldwide program. Like taking the population right. down and again it's fear right if when they already saw the writing was already on the wall the the it was a mathematical certainty and they've known about this mathematical certainty since the 80s right because uh-huh. we had this huge with the baby boomers we had this huge population explosion it drove this innovation this growth of industry this uh, thriving internationally, right? Between all countries, this was all driven by that. And the math, (laughs) when you look at the numbers, you're like, okay, yes, this is coming to an end. Here's where it all falls apart. Like they knew that, right? And before it would have been, okay, things are going to start to go bad around, you know, 2025, 2030. But again, because their agenda is to get this ball rolling sooner rather than later, Mm -hmm. they're They've pushed us into like the COVID lockdowns and things like that, which are only mm-hmm. exacerbating the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And there may be other things that they're pushing and and uh, and trying to get the ball rolling on. Like, like if you look at humans mm-hmm. and their reproduction, they we by choice are reproducing less, 
But again, mm -hmm. if there's an exacerbation by introducing something into the environment, introducing things into your foods, introducing things into your, maybe your vaccines or something like that, that will also make you unable to have children, well, that's justified under mm -hmm. neo-Malthusianism. And so it's, it's like these things are mathematical certainties already. The population mm -hmm. collapse was already a mathematical certainty. Right. The collapse of the civilized world as we know it was already a mathematical certainty, but they're pushing it. <laughs> you know, because yes. like you said, in order, like their main concern being control and power over others is like, we need, we need a manageable population, right? If yep. everything yep. collapses yep. and we've got yep. 7 billion people, we're in trouble. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. Yep. Have you ever tried to herd 7 billion cats? Because that's what controlling human beings is like. You know I mean? we're like. We're like cats in that fashion. It's like we kind of want to just do our own thing. And we're, we're actually, if, if things start collapsing, you start to lose your most effective tools in controlling people, like media, right? Yep. You be, you, these things will start to break down and they'll start to have less and less influence. So it's like, okay, we need to eliminate a large part of the population. And again, this isn't conspiracy theory. I, I, I've dug up over 60 years worth of population control programs yeah. that have been fully justified and talked about and implemented all over the world. Like these aren't, <laughs> these aren't conspiracy theories. These are programs. I trust me. I don't think they are. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think they're conspiracy theories. I promise you. I have a, a guy who, who goes into conspiracy theories a lot. I was like, man, I told him to get on here to listen. Hopefully he'll listen um, eventually. Um, but he has a lot of questions and no, it is programs and they do. I mean, I tell people, li listen to the words like programming. Everything is about a program. They're programming us for this. They're programming us for that. They're programming us to believe this. You know, the whole COVID thing was a program. They, they put it on programs on TV. So it was like this big operation to, yeah, get us to submit to their whatever agendas, whatever. Right. So, and it is, it is control and it is fear and the population um control as well um you know but for me i'm like you know what it's all and you can even see it and here's my my thing how can people not see it i mean they're go they're doing some ridiculous off the wall <laughs> out of control i mean they're so afraid that they're doing things that are just i i have to laugh i'm like laughing at them i'm like really like this <laughs> like this is like this is your way of actually trying to control. Like if people can't see the ridiculousness of their actions, I, I mean, there's a problem. There, there's a problem with the human, or, or maybe people are just so programmed or so comfortable that they don't give a shit. Right? It's not affecting them right in the immediate. No, I think it's I think it's a willful blindness to try to stay comfortable. Okay. Yeah. People don't, don't want to yes. see. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. See what's happening. yeah. I'm like, how can you not? They're acting ridiculous. I mean, the stuff that they're doing is like, really? It's like, cartoonish. It's cartoonish. cartoonish. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Even commercials, like literally. Okay. I don't watch TV every once in a while. I'll watch, um, uh, a series, but sometimes they have commercials on, right? And I'm like, these commercials, I'm like, are people listening to the words that are coming? I mean, I'm like, my jaw is, I drop. I'm like, really? Like, 
do people buy into this or do they just zone out about what they're actually saying? You know, a lot of like the, especially the pharmaceutical stuff, right? Like, how can you not see they're feeding us poison? Like, and you're going to go to your doctor and take that pill. I don't get it. I don't understand how people are not listening. Are they not listening? Are they zoned out? Are they zombified? They, 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 people hear what they want to hear. Apparently. And 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 what they want to hear is what makes them comfortable. Right. So, yeah, you do have basically ignorance. Right. So it's ignorance. People are ignoring the obvious signs all around them and what's happening. Uh, I I don't have any form of television. And the only time I get to see it is at the ranch. Right. So I'll be sitting there with Leroy watching television. And what comes on is like what you said. I'm just like I'm blown away by it. I'm like, wow, crazy, right? Heavy programming, and (laughs) and it it just it blows me away that I'm like, wow, you have this thing on every day. Like, like no wonder people are in the mental state that they're in. They have these idiot boxes on all day long. I know know? it's crazy. it's It's influencing them and. Like, I mean, I've just heard some of the most ridiculous, like people that are under the influence of the idiot box. I hear the most ridiculous things come out of their mouths that has clearly had no kind of critical thinking, no kind of research. No, they haven't looked into any of thing that's coming out of their mouth. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Do you understand basic economics? You do understand supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I have to break down like simple concepts, right? That like, look, your narrative is just false, patently false, and there's nothing supporting it. Um, right now, what you're seeing, like, if let's say we're talking about gas prices, right? And you know, someone says, oh, it's because of the corporations, the 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 petroleum companies and I'm like, no, it's because uh, your president cut off oil pipelines that made us self-sufficient. <laughs> we didn't need foreign oil. He cut those, off, he shut those down. And then he cut off the other big supplier in the world, Russia from supplying us oil. Now, which is funny, I find this so hypocritical. What if every time we went into a war skirmish, like when we went into Iraq or when we went into Afghanistan, what if everyone around the world said, we're not buying American stuff anymore? You know, now that would have impacted us greatly, but it would have impacted them too. (laughs) It's just dumb. Like, and so it's like, it's a supply and demand. When you have a much higher demand than you have supply, the price goes up and we also have inflation. So the value of our dollar is also going down at the same I know, time. I know. So it's like, if, like, if you can't, if you don't understand these simple economic principles and you're just going to buy into a narrative, like, Oh, it's the CEO's fault. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not. The CEO has nothing to do with it. He's responding to the market. That's what a good CEO does. <laughs> like, you you have to price your product based on your your supply and the demand. That's yep. what a market is. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this real quick, the dollar, because um, and and maybe you have some insight on this as well. Okay, so I, the dollar obviously it's obvious, right? It's <laughs> it's going down. And I obviously there are, I don't know, but I foresee that the, the currency is going to shift and change, you know, eventually. 
what do you think, like, what is your, do you have foresight on it or, and Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff? Well, in my opinion, in my opinion, in my assessment, the only sustainable economic system we should entertain as the people Uh is a decentralized cryptocurrency based system. Okay. That to me is the only, that's the only thing that we can have that will guarantee a prosperous future for us. Okay. When we put a, whenever you put a small group of people in charge of your currency, it ends badly. In fact, that was the one thing our founding father said. Now I'm going to paraphrase and I'm going to curse. They said, don't fuck this up. Don't give banks control of your money. Don't give the bankers, the international bankers control of your money. Why would they say that? Well, what did they know? What did they foresee? And how how soon did we give over control you know and this is the big problem and yeah. even if it was still maintained by the US treasury and everything else let's say it was only congress had the power to to coin money um then we wouldn't be in much better situation because there would still be centralization and through centralization you can always influence and control so mm-hmm. the international bankers would have exerted their influence and control in some way, shape, or form, whether it be just buying off the Treasury Department, buying off politicians, whatever. They could have done it anyways because it was centralized. Mm-hmm. The beauty of a decentralized system is that no one controls it. Right. And the value of your currency is purely based on supply and demand. And like, like if we use Bitcoin as an example where it's a limited supply. There right. are only ever 21 million. So its value will only ever increase over time because demand will always be increasing as commerce moves, right? Okay. So as more commerce shifts over to the currency, as more people demand it, the value will always increase because the 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 supply, right? This is simple market dynamics. The supply is set. Right. Now, why are we experiencing inflation right now? Because we've put ridiculous amounts of dollars into circulation. Yep. Okay. We just keep dumping money, dumping money. And what, again, it's simple market dynamics, right. supply and demand. Right. When you have this huge supply and the demand hasn't changed, the value goes down. And that is the, that's true for currency, just like it is for any other commodity or product, right? right. Whether you're talking about dollars or apples, if you've got, 10 billion apples, but only a demand for 1 million, they're going to be really, really cheap. Yep. (laughs) And that's what's happening to the dollar. You have just way too many dollars in circulation, way too easy for people to get. They're just getting handouts, getting handouts, getting handouts, right? Nobody's has to work for it. So they're not working for it. Um, And so you've, you've, you've now created a supply demand it problem right and this creates the inflation that we're experiencing right. so <clears throat> i'm not i'm not concerning myself with their plans right <laughs> whether it's the sure. a klaus schwab and his cronies at the world economic forum or the international bankers whoever's plan uh and whatever their plan is it's not for our benefit whatever right. it is oh it absolutely. never has been no, <laughs> you no. Know? so whatever the <laughs> next yeah, whatever the next thing might be it's not uh-huh. going to work out for us in the end unless we the people and this is something we could do tomorrow 
All the people tomorrow could go, I'm done with Federal Reserve notes. I'm done with U.S. dollars. I'm not going to use them anymore. I will demand payment in Bitcoin for my services, for my products, and I will only pay for products and services with Bitcoin, right? If we all did that tomorrow, the bankers and their control over our media, their control over our politicians, their control over us would disappear. We have given them control because we willingly accept their fiat currency. We willingly use it. We willingly put value in it. If there was zero demand for the dollar, what would the value be? It zero. Would be zero. Yep. So, okay. So that, and that makes sense. And so I, um, Bitcoin, um, so I would have seen with the trends, right? Cause it was going up, 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 up. And then I saw it drop and I'm like, are people, I'm just thinking, I don't know exactly what's happening. Cause I don't follow like markets and stuff like that. I just kind of like thinking, well, we're right now, people are wanting dollars to buy things. So did it drop? Do you think it dropped because they were taking out their Bitcoin and exchanging them for dollars? Well, you got to remember the banks are now involved in the cryptocurrency markets. Okay. Right? So they're trying to manipulate the cryptocurrency markets like they manipulate everything else. Okay. So they'll buy, they'll buy in mass and they'll sell in mass. And this can have these dramatic fluctuations in the pricing and value of the Bitcoin because if they dump a whole bunch on the market, you now have this huge supply, not much demand, the value goes down. If right. they buy it all up, you now have less supply, more demand, and the value goes up, right? right? But you're thinking, but here's the thing. I don't look at cryptocurrency as a stock or a commodity to earn me more dollars. I look at it as like, I'm replacing my dollars with it. I don't uh -huh. want dollars. I want bitcoins. Right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. Because that to me that's that is the future of currency. Whether okay. or not the rest of the world buys in, I will always create a private market for myself to engage and contract in. Now again, I do have an advantage because I'm one of those people who creates business for themselves. So right. I can demand payment in bitcoin. Okay. And I can, and there's no shortage of services and goods that I can acquire with Bitcoin. So that's something I can do and that I have through the work that I've done to be independent allows me to do that. Whereas someone who's completely dependent as an employee, they don't have that, yeah. right? Especially yeah. if they don't have a, a unique skill or sure. a high level of skill where they can say, you know what, this is the terms of my contract with you. Now, here's the thing. With this labor collapse happening, that power is going to return to the people, right? Because you're, it's like now the people will be highly valued commodities because it's like, look, you're losing all the people. There are no people to fill all these roles. So if you want me to fill this role, here are my demands. Okay, that's true. That's a good so way. So the to labor look at it. is going to, yeah, the laborers uh -huh. Uh -huh. are are going to control the future market of labor. Because so it's like, like I can I can work wherever I want. I can, you know, I can work anywhere. What if you want me to work for you, here's the demands I have. And that's it'll be a complete shift. Again, it's it's basic market dynamics, supply and demand. Right. When the demand for a lab for labor is higher than the supply of labor, well then the laborer has all the power in the relationship. Because so their labor like becomes more and more valuable. 
So you think the market will ever truly shift to Bitcoin? Period, and then money will go I'm away. I'm hopeful. Or? I'm hopeful. I'm. I, I. Like I said, it's the only future we have. If we want to get out from under the control of the central banking's bankers, the, yeah, I'll call it the banking cabal. If we ever want to get out from under their control, it's something we have to look at, and it's the only thing we can rely. It's a trustless system. Yeah. It's decentralized. No one controls it. It's trustless. We don't have to re rely on a small group of people not being corrupt. Whereas that's the only way a centralized currency works is if the people controlling it are actually good people right. making decisions for what's best for the economy and the people. We've never had that. <laughs> that's never been a thing. Okay. They've only ever made choices and decisions that benefit them. Right? Yeah. So that's not something we can rely upon. You know, <laughs> we'll just cross our fingers and hope. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Yeah, because I um I did actually uh decide to do Bitcoin before because I I did a little bit of research, um and understanding on on it and I don't know a lot about it but I did um I did understand that like there's these things called the havings have half havings havings anyway where it's like and I don't know how exactly how it works, but I do know that at the half beings, if you put your money in at that time, there's usually like a minor drop and then an, an increase. And that's usually how it's gone and how it's trended. I'm not saying it's always going to be that way. And I, I, I tried it and it was actually good timing for me um, because, you know, and, and I was kind it's kind of in a way too, it felt like, I felt like I ha empowered myself because it was like, I'm making these decisions. And if I make this decision to get Bitcoin and I lose it, well, that's my, it's on me. You know what I mean? But if somebody else is making bad decisions with my money and investing it incorrectly, and then it goes away, well, I don't really have, I mean, I, <laughs> what am I going to do? I can't, I can't, you know what I mean? I'm going to feel like helpless instead of like empowered, even though. Right both can get lost i'd rather be the one who makes the decision and and has that power you know right. for so yeah and i kind of felt like that but in terms of like the different coins you know um i didn't i don't have uh very much information on other coins but i think it's something that's important I, I, again it's it's the only don't get don't lose <laughs> don't lose the forest through the trees right um it's, yes all the other coins are meaningless. People are treating it. You got to look at how other people are looking at it. They're looking at it as like something to make more dollars from. Right. right? So right they're right, looking right. at it like stock, like right. some commodity trade, right? Sure. They're looking to earn more dollars with it. Okay. And so, yeah, they'll speculate on all these other currencies, which are all meaningless, unless there is a technology, meaning something that distinguishes that particular cryptocurrency and that the specific technology that it incorporates gives it value as a currency, okay? okay. So, and again, most, I, I'm not, I wouldn't suggest anyone necessarily go down that path because again, I, the, my, the way I approach Bitcoin is acquire. That's, that's yeah. my approach, acquire, buy more, buy more, buy more. You know, when the price goes down, awesome, I'm getting it cheaper, buy more, buy yeah. more. Like. I'm yeah. not like, oh, buy low, sell high. Nope. I don't care about 
freaking dollars. Right. <laughs> I don't want sure. dollars. You know, like if I'm going to buy anything with crypto, it'll be gold or silver. You know, like that's what I'll buy with crypto. Okay. Um, and again, I, I'm not going to buy a lot of it because then it becomes hard to move around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like to me, crypto is the easiest thing because for one, it's absolutely secure. When you uh -huh. understand the technology and you understand how to secure your wallets and you keep your wallets offline, you there, no one can ever take it from you. Nobody has that power. You I know. know. And that's there it. is I no other a, system that's that secure. I have the, okay, so here's my thing. Cause I, and I, I probably should transfer it over, but I have, so I have, a, I'm on Coinbase. Okay. But this I do have a line wallet. I know, but I do have a <laughs> fire Fox or what is it called? Foxfire? What, what is the one where it's encrypted and you store it? Firefox? No, there's, that was a, that was a, oh, that was an engine. Yeah, that was a, a that's a browser. That was that's a search engine browser. <laughs> it was called a thing. What it? Well, what's the name of it? I bought it. There, there's 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 a couple. There's a couple. I know Gingy has one of them. Again, I don't need those. Like I I know how to encrypt. So oh. I encrypt well, my, my wallet <laughs> files and everything else, and I just keep them on thumb drives. You know, I just keep them on thumb drives and in various other locations. Right. So, I know how to encrypt. Well, not all of us know how to encrypt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do know that there are hardware devices that claim that. Yes. Again, I don't necessarily trust proprietary technologies. Like the wallet I use or the wallet client I use is the open source Bitcoin wallet. You know, okay. like that's all I use. I don't use any proprietary software. Um, and then what I do is not only is, you know, the spending on the wallet protected with a, you know, 32 character passphrase, but I also encrypt the files that have the wallet in it, all of my uh, except for the blockchain itself. I'm not going to encrypt the blockchain. And then I store it on a thumb drive. And then I store it on multiple thumb drives. And then I store it in remote locations because I know, for one, you can't break that encryption. You know, with the with the type of encryption I'm using, you won't be able to break it. And I can put it all over the place. And if something goes wrong, I will always have access to okay. these encrypted files. And, and then I even give, I even send thumb drives out to people. I'm like, hey, save this for me somewhere. <laughs> so it's like, okay. I've got literally, I've got my Bitcoin wallet distributed all over the world, you know, oh. and, but nobody could get into it, but me. Okay. So when are you going to do that service for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not likely. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what, as soon as you get a wallet with like 10, 20 Bitcoins in it, then I might help you out. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll form a trust for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think so. I think that's good. And I'm, I'm slowly almost, I'm sometimes I'm a slow mover on this, stuff, especially technology. I kind of move slow. I'm not always the one at the head of the curve with technology stuff and, and the way it's going, but I do, um, I do know and feel as a clairvoyant, the energy shifts in things. And when I'm like, okay, this is something that I need to pay attention to. Like I know when I need to pay attention to something. So I did start to, well, I was like here, just Bitcoin and I don't mess with other coins because I don't know what they are. I mean, I understand, you know, Bitcoin a little bit and what it is. And I know you had talked about it and it was crazy because at the time 
so I knew about Bitcoin before you had talked about it when we were in class, but then you brought it up when we were taking your courses or whatever. And I think at the time it was like $250 per coin. Yep. And remember, I told you it would hit yeah. 50,000 within the next couple of years. Yeah. And mm -hmm. those who believed me and bought in are millionaires. <laughs> those who didn't believe me and didn't buy in are kicking themselves in the ass and saying, why didn't I listen to Brandon when he was telling us to buy it at $200? I know. I know. It was, and, and I had heard about it before, but I just didn't know enough. You know what I mean? My thing was like, I don't know enough about, like, I just, and I didn't educate myself on it, you know, but then I was kind of like the late person to jump on. Um, I mean, it wasn't too bad uh, when I jumped on as well. I'm, I'm not a million trillionaire or whatever, um, which is fine but at least I have an understanding of how it works. And, and um, yes, and I think you're right. Acquiring it is, is important. Cause I haven't like, well, let me just take it out or let me, you know, Oh, I see it's gone. I'm just like, no. And I don't even know how to use it at this point. It's just kind of sitting there for right now because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, right. Which is, again, that's better. If yeah. you, all you need to understand is how to put it, get it to your wallet how to lock your wallet and how to safely store your wallet. That's all you need to know. If you know those things and how to open it back up so that you can get access to your wallet again, learn that okay. and then just acquire it. You know what okay. I mean? Like then it's yep. just about acquiring. Now here's the thing, like people like, you know, will ask, you know, well, why don't you do this? Like they'll ask, well, why don't you invest in, you know, mutual funds or stocks or bonds or anything like that? And for me, it's very simple. Like, the writing's on the wall, like economies will be collapsing, right? right. Um, anything and everything in the markets at that time will be completely worthless. Yes, the possibility that we won't even have computer technology, so Bitcoin becomes worthless is also there. It's That's yeah. also a very real possibility. Yeah. Here's the thing, if that happens, the only thing that will have value is your skill set. Absolutely. That will be, that's what will be valuable. So in reality, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put it all in Bitcoin. That's what I'm betting on. But the reality is like even gold and silver, when everyone's concern is shelter and food, how yeah, much is your gold and silver going to be worth? Nothing. Absolutely it's nothing. It's going to be worth nothing. Yeah. So, so in reality, it will be your skill set. So if anything, if you're looking at like, yeah, things may get bad, we'll start to work on your skill set. You know, okay. Like you were saying, you know, start to learn how to grow food, start to learn how to build things, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's all valuable skills. You know, I'm fortunate. I got engineering, I got building, I've got tech, you know, <laughs> like if we do still have technology, I've got an awesome technology skill set. Yeah. Um, I know how to, I know how to survive in the wilderness, you know? And so these are things that are, that I see as important aspects of a skill set to have. <clears throat> and if all goes to hell, I have very valuable skill sets and that yes. will be the currency of uh -huh. if, if we yep. experience collapse, those will be the most valuable currencies will be your skill set. I agree. It and that's gold. <laughs> it won't be silver. It definitely ain't going to be your US dollars. <laughs> It reminds me of that that scene in Titanic where the guy's like trying to give him money to get in the boat, and he just like he he hits his money. He's like, "You dumbass, we're gonna die! Like your money is meaningless right now. Get it out of my face." You know what I mean? 
and it's true you can't eat money um yeah. and so <laughs> right um and i think and then it's funny too because katrina you remember katrina anyway she um <laughs> what happened to oh me? that's actually yeah now it's funny as soon as you said it i was thinking of the hurricane but i'm like oh you mean the other hurricane <laughs> she is a hurricane <laughs> she's funny though she's always like when the zombie apocalypse happens you know she's already like preparing herself for how you know how she's gonna go down she's like and and she did say you know and she's pretty she's pretty smart she's pretty intuitive she's like your skills are going to be important what do you have to trade in skills and i'm like yeah it's true what what skills do you have because um people aren't going to just let you in if like my friend vanessa uh, my roommate that i live with which she's a badass to be honest with you but she is a paramedic a flight paramedic one in one of the only flight paramedics in the state um and one who flies between um different places in new mexico with or not new mexico actually the the us um and uh she works for unm so they go all over anyway if there was somebody who was injured or hurt you're going to want her there. You know what I mean? She right. knows what to do. She, and so, you know, so we kind of laugh because we're like, well, we have our crew of what we're going to do. Right. And they're like, Natalie, be in charge of the, the, the Marshall stuff. <laughs> anyway, we just laugh, but we all, we're all looking at like, what are the skills that we bring? Right. Can we grow food? Can we, because that's what it, that's what it'll take. So if shit goes down in a handbasket. Those are like the t people you want to align yourself with. <laughs> that's right. how I. Feel. And if and if and if there's anyone who feels like they don't have any marketable skill, like there's things that you can like right now. You still have access to the internet. There are things you can learn that will be tremendously valuable if things happen the way, you know, that we're describing. Yes. Like herbalist. If you can identify plants oh, yeah. and understand how to treat people using various herbs and plants and even how foods benefit the body and what yeah. foods benefit the body, yeah. you become invaluable because you can now heal and treat. And, and again, this isn't something that would require a lot of effort. In fact, I would, I would imagine that there is a ton of material for free available on the internet yes you know that like entire websites dedicated to how these herbs work how to identify them you know and in fact you could probably find in your area like a, i know there's a lot of groups mm -hmm. that like they're they're geared towards like a specific area right so like my kids are in northern california and i know they have these groups where it's like they go out into nature and they're like here's the things that are around where we live that we can use medicinally, that we can uh -huh. use to treat these conditions, how to identify them. And like, they just go out. It's like a nature walk, yep. but they're identifying, look, you can eat this, you can eat that, you can, you know, this plant, it benefits this condition, you know, like, so they're, you're able to identify it, you're able to process it to, to get it to the point of consumability. Like that is a tremendously valuable skill that's actually not it doesn't require a lot of effort to acquire. I agree. And you know who's really good at that is Michael. You remember Michael Fassauer, right? Do you yes, remember I Michael? Do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, wasn't he the one? Was he the one who got in a motorcycle accident or something? No, he didn't get in a motorcycle accident. We just traveled across the U.S. on a motorcycle. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> there was no accident. And okay. <laughs> yeah, but no, he, he, uh, 
he's like that. And every time I've gone to visit him or whatever, he's always, he knows he's, yeah. Like you said, this is super valuable because he knows what you can eat. He'll like right. take you on a walk and he'll be like, he's done this before. He'll, we'll sit down and we'll make a salad and we'll go walk and we'll pick stuff from nature to put in our salad. He's like, you can eat this, you can eat that. You can, you can eat this. You can, I'm like, Oh my God. He's like, he's like, Natalie, a food shortage is a lie. There's food all around us. We just don't know. We just don't, yeah. it just grows naturally. That's what the earth does. It gives us back food. We just don't know what we can eat because we're so far disconnected from, you know, the earth or whatever, yeah, but he literally, world, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I've literally like, even on the side of the road, like when we, we were motorcycling, all that stuff, we would go and pick stuff and put it on the plate and eat it, you know? And I'm like, wow. And I mean, that's what he's done. He's, he's like all about that food and, um, having those skills as well. And I think a lot of people that were, were in your classes were, you know, had some foresight obviously about, you know, what was coming and had some tremendous skill, you know, but there wasn't this urgency to like band together and, and, and create something, which kind of sad in a way, because these are the people that I feel would be, could start something new, you know what I mean? Or can create something that's different, but, but they, um, they may, that, that skill may be, be best put to use. Uh -huh. in different communities meaning rather than all these people who've got their shit together and got it figured out coming together well each of them is in a community where they can bring their own their own communities together because they can step into a role of leadership yeah understanding what they understand you know what i mean so it's like yeah. yeah you could have one community of a bunch of people who know what the heck they're doing or you can have communities spread out throughout the world that because they have at least one person who understands what they're doing. They're able to, they're able to thrive and able to survive and things like that. Yeah, it's true. That is true. But there's, so for me, I'm like, well, <laughs> what friends do I have? And so that's another thing. It's like a network of people, right? Being able to communicate, I think, and, and connect. I mean, I don't foresee myself if things hit the fan. I don't foresee myself being a, um, I, I, I would migrate. I think that's what it would be for me. I would migrate and move from place to place to place. Like I feel like we should have been doing in the first place instead of settling in one specific location, you know, well, forever. I, I get it. it's not a, it's not a shoulda, woulda, coulda kind of thing. Uh -huh. It's that's the natural when civilization collapsed again, look at the bronze age uh -huh. when, when bronze age civilization collapsed, that's what happened. Everyone all of a sudden became migratory because mm -hmm. again, your food migrates. Right. <laughs> so you're going right. to, you're following your food, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's what people did. And because of the climate changes, nobody really knew where they could settle down and start farming again. Sure. And because there were so many people roaming, if you didn't have the capacity to defend your farming, well, then people are just going to come in and take everything, you yeah. know? So, so it was that it, it it was what happened at the collapse of the Bronze Age. It's like you had all these roaming bands. And that's why I said Egypt kind of made it through because they were isolated. Uh, you know, okay. They had desert around yep. them. So so they were protected from roaming bands just coming through and eating up what they were trying to farm. Right. right. Um, so they were able to make it through as a civilization because they and, and that's the main reason, because they were able to maintain uh, the the not only the 
the crops and farming, but they were also able to maintain animal husbandry, right? So they were able to maintain, you know, uh, cattle and sheep and things like that. So they, they remained a civilization. Their civilization did not break down like all the other civilizations of the Mediterranean and Europe experienced. So if you could foresee that, where is a, where's a place? What? Okay. I know you said Australia would be good probably to survive or well, get. Nah, here's the thing about Australia. They ain't got a lot of resources. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of desert in Australia. Yeah. They're, they're isolated. So they're protected, but, and, and their population is relatively low. Like, I think the whole population of, of uh, Australia is about equivalent to like Los Angeles, you know, or maybe California, you know, so th it's relatively low, but, and they do have very good areas where you could farm and, and you would have that, but it's not the entire continent. Like a lot of the continent is, is, isn't very useful. Now their natives Mm -hmm. understand how to utilize the land and they still have a native population so the the natives who who still understand it because you get to realize that in reality a lot of those natives are completely part of the australian culture now where it's like yeah. oh you want to eat you go to the grocery store yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't they don't know where to get food and you got to realize with a with a population like that like even though their population is only 30 million okay so immediately people are going to do what hunt kangaroo <laughs> you know like like that's right. that's one of those animals that's abundant well how how long is it going to take before there are no more kangaroos not right. very long right you know um so you're going to decimate a lot of your resources in at the beginning you know if there's a collapse there's a, a lot of your resources will be absolutely decimated. Um, and it's not a great area for the roaming, right? There's not a whole lot of migratory animals to kind of follow around. Um, so they don't, there's not a lot of that. Like I said, they've got some large animals that they could hunt and things like that. And they're, I mean, they're surrounded by oceans, so they could definitely fish. Um, although I, I'm not sure, I haven't looked into their, um, you know, their ecosystem, their, their ocean ecosystem and how much, you know, they could, you know, how much of a population could you provide for and what coastlines would be the places to be. But as an Australian, if you, if you are an Australian, that's things you need to look into. <laughs> you know, like Absolutely. If I'm going to be near a coast, you know, if I'm going to be near a coast, what are the best coastlines to be near? Um, and, you know, what are the best states to live in? You know, is it, is Queensland a good place because of the forestry or because of other elements that would make it possible for us to hunt and to grow food and things like that? Like, you know, you're not going to want to live in a particular province or state that is, you know, mostly desert. You know, that's right. not, unless there's a river running through it and some fertile land, then that desert becomes a, per, a layer of protection around you, like, like Egypt. Right. You know, Egypt's surrounded by desert, but the fertile land that's all around the Nile provides them plenty of uh, plenty of area to not only raise crops but to raise animals you know but they're surrounded by desert so they're isolated no one can really get to them when you're roaming around on foot um, but they've got the fertile land so a river through a desert can be very valuable we saw, we saw that with the Egyptians in the collapse of the Bronze Age um, so that could be valuable so it's it's looking at things like that are you know and and then looking at the area you're in, 
you know, and what, what are the elements that I should be looking at? You know, like I live in a small mountain town and our deer are ridiculous in numbers up here. Um, so we've got that, you know, and, and we've even got moose coming through here now, which is, Oh, wow. Really? really? I didn't even, yeah, I didn't know we had moose. (laughs) So so that's, that's interesting. I was like, Oh, we have moose. So, so there's, you know, so I'm looking at all that and it's fertile, you know, but it's also high altitude, but that serves two purposes. It isolates in that it's like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about many people roaming into, you know, uh, freezing cold temperatures and high altitudes, you know, at least during the winter, we don't have to worry about that. Um, but it also, it, it, it there are what you would call nat- uh, natural boundaries, right? And obstacles mm-hmm. that kind of isolate you from civilization. Yeah, it is um, in a so different pocket of, it is an interesting kind of little area, to be honest with you. Getting yeah, to it's yeah. not so easy as well. I agree. And there's a lot of, well, you have water there. You have yep. a lot of resources. Rivers. Rivers and streams all over. And a tiny population. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, compare, relatively speaking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, compared to Albuquerque, <laughs> we have a really tiny population. It's so um, small. <laughs> <laughs> I was out there and I'm like, this is tiny. <laughs> right, which has its advantages it's, and has its disadvantages. It was hard for I me. Definitely, I definitely don't have the selection of restaurants that you have. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't even eat out anyway. I make all my food. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even eat the stuff out here. So it doesn't even matter. It was just the, the, the smallness of the community, right? It was like so small that I, I hate to say it. I was born in a city that was bigger than that. And I'm like, the opportunities I felt were just not as much for me. It was just, it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time and, and it was beautiful. And, but I was like, man, I don't know if I fit here exactly (laughs) either. That was a big thing. I'm glad that you found a home there though. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I love it here. And, and again, I'm even like, okay, well, if stuff gets bad, where would I go from here? Because I'm also surrounded by huge national forests and stuff. So I'm like, dude, I would just head out, (laughs) head out to the middle of the forest and go as deep as I could. And, and I'd be fine, you know, because again, I've got rivers and streams, I've got deer, I've got all these things. And because this entire area, you know, is really sparsely populated, you know, we've got these huge forests that support a lot of animal life, but there aren't a lot of people. And not only are there not a lot of people, a lot of the people, or uh, I shouldn't say a lot, because I'm, I'm not even sure on the percentages, but I'm sure many of the people wouldn't even be able to hunt or, no. or anything else, you know what or I mean? Or survive out there. So, yeah, right. like so out in the wilderness. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I don't have to. So I don't have to worry about them as competition. <laughs> At the very least, I don't have to worry about competing for food if they don't have. Basically, if they don't have bow and arrow, you know, because even guns are going to become useless at some point. You're all y'all are going to run out of ammo. And That's right. You can't make bullets. Yep. <laughs> you know? I'm 